computer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Made in New England interview series, where we talk with New England-based companies and the people who lead them. Uh, I'm your host, Steve DeVries, and today I am joined by Mr. John Shaw, the CEO of Idaconics Corporation. John, welcome to the show. Morning, Steve. Great to be with you. Great, great. So thanks for joining us. Uh, would you maybe kick us off with uh, a little bit of background as to who you are and, and what your business does? I'm the CEO and co-founder of Itaconics. Uh, we make uh, plant-based uh, specialty ingredients that go into a wide range of consumer products. Uh, I spent my career uh, really bringing new materials in various forms uh, out, out of laboratories and into the commercial market. Um, Itaconics itself was founded when I met uh, my co-founder, Dr. Yvonne Durant, who was a research professor at the University of New Hampshire. We met at the Holloway Business Plan Competition at the University of New Hampshire, where Yvonne had put a uh, one of his students uh, into the competition with a business plan to create green polymers. Um, I was there and I was always looking for new opportunities um, in specialty materials. Uh, we met a um, couple days later and three months later, back in September 2008, right in the middle of a, a, a very severe economic downturn, uh, we launched uh, Itaconics uh, in 2008, uh, and we've been off and running ever since. So you launched in 2008. What, what would you say has driven your success to this point, John? We've gone through about three phases of development. I'd say that the first stage was kind of exploratory. Um, the polymers that we make are made, the monomer is itaconic acid. Uh, I'm not a scientific person. I, my last uh, hard science class was in high school. I didn't do very well at it, but I've spent <laughs> most of my career in specialty materials. Um, so think of a monomer as a pearl, uh, and then a string of pearls as a polymer. So um, itaconic acid has been a highly sought after monomer. It's generally available in the market, but making polymers of itaconic acid had been sought since the 1960s. Um, Pfizer uh, filed a patent in 1960 to polymerize it. It was a 30 hour process to get to an 80% yield. So it's not economically viable. Roman Haas, uh, which was a, uh, a leader in acrylate, uh, acrylic acid polymers, um, they tried to file, they filed a pass in 1993. It was a seven hour process, still only to an 80% yield. Uh, and what Dr. Uh, Durant came up with uh, is a process that we run here, right uh, at our factory right here. It's about less than an hour to a 95% plus um, conversion to create a virus. So it was a fundamentally economic uh, breakthrough. At first we thought it was, the phase one was just thinking, oh, we have a green version of, um, how acrylate polymers are used. And acrylate polymers is a $20 billion market. Um, you see them every day in everything that you do. There's acrylic paint um, on the wall here. I'm sure is acrylic paint. Uh, and every diaper has uh, super absorbents made from acrylic uh, polymers. And then in a wide variety of consumer products and industrial applications, uh, water-soluble acrylates are used. A total of that 20 $20 billion market potential. And we thought, well, we just have a green version of an acrylate. And we had great success early on to get to, uh, you know, probably 2013 or so, 20. So we, we got a lot of green detergent companies. Uh, we got a, quite a bit of sales, but then we kind of plateaued and had to rethink what do we really have? 
uh, what the functionality, what's the unique functionality that we have. That took us about four years. And then so starting about 2017, 2018, we found the initial applications that we were going to focus on. And we have, Steve, we've just been laser focused on the applications development side to say we are going to win uh, in one particular area. And that's what we're doing right now. We're a leader in um, replacing phosphates and uh, automatic dish detergent uh, pods, the little pods that you put in yeah. your you put in your dishwasher detergent. Phosphates were taken out for uh, environmental safety reasons. Uh, phosphates uh, would go out into waterways. Algae would eat the phosphates. Uh, and then the, you get algae bloom that sucks up all the oxygen uh, and kills all the fish. So phosphates were banned. And there really wasn't not done a great replacement for it. So we're now the leading replacement for it uh, in a large segment of North America and a growing area in Europe um, where we're able to bring safer chemistry, um, actually multifunctional chemistry so we can bring the size of the pods down and put less chemistry out into the world. Um, and it happens to be plant-based. So um, I always, the example I like to give, and it's just personally really pleasing because I, I spend Saturday, I go to the retail store and I go up and down and say, we're in this, we're in this, we're in this. And then, <laughs> that's the good day. On Sunday, I go back and I say, why aren't we in this? Why aren't we in this? And you know, <laughs> I'll have a little list for people today. How come we're not in these things? But the um, uh, but if, if typically, like if you go to a Hannaford store, because uh, mm -hmm. it's store here. Once you take Cascade, which is Procter & Gamble, and you take Finish, uh, which is Record Benckiser and 7th Generation, a bit, most of the other uh, products on the shelf there were actually formulated right here based on our material. Um, and what I particularly like about it is, is that it crosses the full range of consumer choices. So you may think that you're going to buy the greenest one with uh, Palmolive's green detergent. It's very high uh, bio-based, a very special uh, one. You may want the most uh, powerful, best-performing one with the Clorox one, or you may want to save money and use the Hannaford private label one. Um, they all have their different market positions, a slightly different performance, but in all of them, uh, you have plant-based content based on our product. Um, that's well over 50% on it. So regardless of what, what choice the consumer thinks they're making, um, underlying it is the making the environment safer with uh, safer chemicals, less chemicals, uh, incre increasing the plant-based content. Um, so we're we actually are sequestering carbon dioxide um, in, uh, in, the, in the production process of what we do. We sequester carbon dioxide to help rebalance the carbon cycle for climate change. Not our primary purpose, but those are all the extra benefits. So all that that gets, you know, that keeps us very happy. And we've gotten to that stage. We now are well funded, growing 40% plus a year. So we're going off into all the other areas, the other hundreds of applications. We're going to pick off a few of those um, so we could be a hundred, two hundred million dollar company. John, that's absolutely an amazing story. So, I mean, the, the green movement, right, is is so prevalent in so many areas of our our lives today. So, to to hear how uh, your New Hampshire based business is having such a huge impact on that, that's exciting stuff. So, um, I want to switch gears for just a second. In, yeah. in manufacturing, you know, we we love our metrics. So, I'm wondering. Are there any key metrics for your business that that you can share that you that you like to pay attention to? 
Um, on, we, ha we have to compete against uh, some very large chemical companies. Um, our breakthrough was about the, economic, uh, the economics of our process relative to other chemical processes. So we are, you just think of this, this plant, we, we're, we're competing against the economics of some other chemical plant, and we're competing against the economics of the formulations that come out of here. So we do the entire formulation in it. So um, we keep uh, on the formulation side of it, it's always what can we do next year to bring the cost of the material down? Uh, in the industrial world, um, don't get caught up too much. The, the idea that, you're, that anybody in the industrial world is going to spend more money is not a good business idea from my perspective. You want lower cost, uh, lower cost better performance, and uh, increased sustainability and go after all three and challenge yourself to go after all three of them. Um, and um, and so we do that on the formulation side of it. And then on the production side of it, just straight metrics of what's your throughput, your production rate per hour, what's your yield per hour, what are your raw material costs, what's your scrap rate. Keep a very, very close tight, uh, tight one on that in terms of how do we increase, you know, how many thousands of pounds we can make a day and make sure every, every month you're increasing the, the amount of pounds you can produce per, per day. I love that. So looking out into the future of your business, you mentioned you have this vision of 100 or $200 million uh, a year in revenue. What excites you most about the future of the business? Um, one is just coming into work every day. Uh, we have a great group of people. Uh, we really work hard on innovation and how innovation for a team of our size works. Um, a couple things. One is we we talk. We have a, a process that actually we, we got awarded by Frost and Sullivan for how we run our stage gate. It's not a traditional stage gate. Oh, we start, and we find a customer problem, uh, a, a problem that we think need, the customers want have met. We go into our big technology platform and we say, oh, I think we think this chemistry can contribute this, and we actually. Before we start the process, we write the we write what would be on the packaging because we're really consumer. What would be on the packaging, and if you could present this package to the consumer, would they pick this product or not? Um, we need to work on extraordinary outcomes. You know, maybe other big chemical companies can work on okay ones, but we're a small. There has to be extraordinary. Where people go like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. I want this. So that starts our process that we, we figure that out, literally write the package of what we think the claims will be. We then turn the chemistry into a specific ingredient, go out and what we get, really important part we call first sale is go get five, four or five customers. We don't care how big they are to just get it and get it out on the market so that they actually can see the um, can see what's, what's happening out there. Uh, to see if, if that will actually work and the claim that we think will work on the shelf actually does it. And I don't care if we just sell $3,000 worth or not, or not to actually have a claim on it. Mm -hmm. So now that we have, we can get uh, ignition. Then we go to traction and say, all right, now that we have five customers, let's go get 20 customers. Uh, and they see the value of it. And then you start validating the market. And then slowly you build up and become a critical ingredient for success on that, on that space of shelf. Um, and that's where we're getting to an automatic dish. That's our takeoff stage, where all of a sudden the orders just coming, just start coming in um, on it. So the, just just taking ourselves uh, through that process and finding new opportunities is great. And, and we have our chemistries can go off into 
many areas, anything acrylic uh, polymers are used for, you know, bio-based paint, um, uh, plant-based super absorbents for diapers. I mean, you know, we're working in a, I think our addressable market right now is about 3 billion. We want to increase it to 5 billion in terms of the applications we can go after. And we're just going to keep running, keep running that process of innovation. That unique stage gate process is what allows you to become that, just that laser focused expert on that particular offering. So I, I find that really unique about your business. So uh, congratulations for that. Yeah, a good chunk of our sales, and we actually track it. One of the key, we, we have we have four metrics that we run the company on. One is um, team sat, uh, team satisfaction, which is every year does every uh, member of the team have the resources and direction uh, that they need to be successful. Uh, number two is um, uh, are we uh, a key contributor our customer success? So we actually go through our revenues and say. Could our customer gotten that package out on the market um, without our, without us or without our material? And it's right now it's about you know it's a very high percentage of our sales uh, in that we'd like it always to be higher. Um, then uh, the last one, uh, well the other the third one that's important to me is the um, um, well this is the addressable market. We're always trying to increase our addressable market. And then the fourth one is we call is uh, revenues per thousand households in Europe and North America. So our goal is to have, um, we want to get to $300 uh, per thousand households in North America and Europe. Uh, and that's because I just go through the house and say, we should be in this, we should be in that. Right now we're in automatic dish, hair styling, um, uh, odor control, carpet cleaning. You know, we're in 170 different brands right now around the world. Uh, we need to grow that uh, to, you know, 500 to 1,000 uh, and just keep infiltrating all the applications. But the metric is what our revenue per thousand households is on it. So we have very clear metrics and just keep building out. It's what's great about it, Steve, is that we get recurring revenues. Um, mm -hmm. Our first customer was in 2009. Um, uh, within 16 months of starting the company, we had our first uh, first customer. They're still our customer. They're still growing as a customer uh, 15 years later. So you get this wonderful recurring revenues. Uh, built in. It's like having an annuity as you get into those hundreds of brands and you just keep building it brick by brick and just keep running, keep running the railroad on it. That that metric of revenue per 1000 households uh, is amazing. And I, I'm hoping that uh, a lot of a lot of our listeners get, grab a hold of that because that that's a really unique way uh, to look at how to position your business. So uh, I really enjoyed hearing about that. So let's talk about concerns for the future what what headwinds do you see coming down the line for your business or industry things that that concern you that maybe you need to to think about and plan for um in the sustainability space um there's a lot of people who uh, regulators who think they know chemistry uh mm -hmm. there's a lot of state legislatures there's a lot of uh federal government legislate legislatures that think that they're trying to make the world a better place by putting restrictions on uh, getting more aggressive about uh, restrictions on chemistries. Chemistry in general is considered a bad name. Mm -hmm. I was at a unnamed store in Portsmouth uh, uh, last week and they actually had a, they were talking about how wonderful they were and they had a, they had a, a, a shelf of soap of uh, na natural soaps and in it, it said um, chemical free. And I'm saying, 
I actually had to talk to the store manager and say, I'm sorry, water is a chemical. You know, you <laughs> that it's chemical free. You, you know, you're using palm oil as a base. I mean, the, it, everything is chemistry. Water is chemistry. Yeah. So I think the, the, um, there are legitimate issues like uh, forever chemicals like PFAS um, that people give chemistry a bad name. But remember, everything that we do is chemistry. The other issue we have is we make polymers. Uh, now, every plastic is a polymer, but not every polymer is a plastic. So we're continually fighting the idea that um, that you know polymers are bad. I'm like, well, Steve, I mean, a piece of paper, that's a polymer. A tree is a polymer. Our skin is a polymer. I mean, polymers is what make up life on it. And plastics is a very small, little, tiny segment of it, and it gets a bad name on it. So the other ones are restrictions going in, like we don't want any polymers, we don't want any chemicals, and it's just not realistic. I mean, it's it's like it's like almost fairy tale to think that we could do it. We actually had someone um, uh, call up, so brands call us for help, and someone called and they said, well. We want we don't want any chemicals and uh, we want it to all be organic and uh, plant based uh, and we want it to work better than the leading uh, than the than the leading laundry detergent the Procter and Gamble laundry detergent and I want it to cost less money I'm like yeah and I want a puppy you know yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I don't like I, I don't know where you're thinking you're coming from so part of that is you. Um, it's just the, the, the reality of exactly how the world works. And Steve, particularly with your focus on manufacturing, a lot of the, I think a lot of the population does not understand how manufacturing works, how important it is, where do things come from, um, how important things that are in front of us uh, come from, how important that some of those are made locally, how they're, how they're made in North America on it uh, and, and how, what, how important it is to our economy, um, to our food security, to our, uh, to our everyday lives on it. Um, so those are the ones that, you know, between chemistry, polymers, and just an appreciation for manufacturing, how important it is um, that we do it. And manufacturing is a huge um, source for jobs uh, that drive the economy. Um, that's, what's driven the, that's what's driven the New Hampshire economy for many, many decades. So I hope, uh, hope there's a continued focus of what it takes to grow our economy. Well, that's why we're here to, to talk about these things and, and to help educate people. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that, particularly about uh, the chemistry. That was something that I guess I hadn't considered in the past, uh, but it makes complete sense. Uh, so, so John, with just a, a little bit of time left, I, a couple of quick questions. Uh, number one, uh, any advice for any budding uh, business leaders uh, especially ones maybe here in, in New England that are that are beginning their career or in the middle of their career with, you know, big things in their sights. What would, what kind of advice would you give to those people? Well, we, we really, I really enjoy working with younger people. Uh, my my uh, brother, David Shaw, uh, who helps build uh, IDEX Laboratories up in Portland, Maine. Mm -hmm. And I, um, uh, he graduated from the University of New Hampshire. We've gone back to the university and helped. Uh, I helped early on with the development of the entrepreneurial center up there. Uh, and specifically what we do for sophomores is we're on a program called the Innovation Explorers. Um, and uh, just so people learn how innovation happens. And it's not business. Innovation happens in every walk of life. 
You know, uh, musicians are, are musicians are innovators, artists are innovators, nonprofits innovate, In, um, nurses do everywhere. So we really like to highlight um, how innovation happens and the personal stories in it. The one that that I always focus on is just the you know have lots of ideas. Um, I, I maintain a list of twenty ideas at all times. Some of that is earlier in my career. I didn't know whether I was going to be able to keep my job or get another job. So I always kept a list of 20 ideas. And then I'm brutally honest about what the best what the best idea is. Never, ever, ever fall in love with an idea. And one, have a long list of ideas so you don't fall in love with your first one. Um, and you take your first one and you interrogate it as hard as you possibly can uh, to see is there, and you say, and convince you, like you try to make it a bad idea. And if it survives that interrogation, then it's a good idea. The number one, uh, one I always tell people is the three most important numbers in your business plan are the telephone numbers of your first three customers. So you may think you have a guy, you may think you have a great idea. But even when someone comes to me, ideas that give me the telephone numbers because I'm going to call them. And just like we talked about in our stage gate process, that claim that you think you're going to make um, with your new product, it better be a decisive claim that customers are going that are going to change customers' buying behavior. And if it isn't, it's a very hard it's a very hard sell, particularly if extraordinary. So that um, so I always think about that is have, have lots of ideas never fall in love with one take the first one beat the beat it beat it up as hard as you can and make sure that you have the telephone numbers of the first three customers that as soon as you have it available on your shipping dock they're going to call and order it if you don't have that life gets very difficult very fast <laughs> very true uh john shaw from itaconics uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today uh, I hope everybody that's listening or, or watching has taken as much value from this conversation as I have. Uh, really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us on Made in New England. Steve, great work. Thanks. Thank appreciate you. It. Take care.